podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, patrons. It's time. We're here to talk about the coronavirus. We're here with T.K. Coleman. You can find him at tkcoleman.com. This is a Patreon-only episode, usually. We put it behind our paywall for the folks who really support us there on Patreon. We dive deep during these maximal episodes. We're going to dive deep today, talking about the coronavirus, talking about pandemics, talking about crises. But because we feel like this is a public service announcement, we want to put this in the main feed as well. Yeah. Before we do that, I just want to say thank you for being a Patreon supporter. If you are a Patreon supporter, uh, your $2 goes much farther than you realize. Uh, you are paying for Sean and all his kids. And Jordan, he probably has kids he, he doesn't know about. <laughs> uh, but also Jess and, and, and her family. And, yeah. and of course us. And allows us to pay for the studio space, all the equipment. And because we keep our podcast 100% advertisement-free, we think advertisements suck, and they are a big part of the problem. We don't want to be part of the problem. We don't want to be part of the noise, and we don't want to talk about mattresses or or postage. <laughs> and so, is that what the is that the in vogue thing to advertise now? Postage? Yeah, yeah. In <laughs> fact, uh, we were talking about Mark Maron's new special called "In Times Fun," and he makes fun of uh, what Rogan advertises. Oh, yeah. A and then he makes fun of what he advertises himself. He goes, I'm more of a stamps.com kind of guy myself. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we don't do any advertisers. Thank you for your support. It really does go a long way. If you're not a supporter and you want to support us, especially during these trying times, you can do so at theminimalists.com slash support. You can become a, a regular supporter. You get a maximal episode every single week. It's a longer, much more personal, uh, much deeper dive every week and um, it's a totally separate endeavor from the regular podcast it's part of our the minimalist private podcast so what you're listening to right now is the minimalist private podcast and tk i wanted to start with this article we have this little uh, on the maximal episodes we do something called more about less we we use an article as sort of a uh, there he just coughed again i didn't cough I cleared did you see it put a mask on i, him. I did not <laughs> cough i cleared my throat i'm not i'm not paranoid <laughs> but and, I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and so we, we use an article as a jump off point to, dis to discuss some things. And this article my doctor sent to me yesterday, and it's sort of this aggregate. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's on a blog called the Slate Star Codex. And, and this guy writes a, a blog here that, um, well, it, it's covering every, this particular blog post is called Coronavirus Links Speculation Open Thread. And it has these different topics. The first topic is prepping. And he says, for a description of why you might want to prep, see this blog post here. For a description of how to prep, see this article by Kelsey here. For a really intense guide by a professional prepper, see here. But there's such a thing as being too intense. Mm -hmm. And so people often ask us about like, well, what about preppers or how much should I have prepared during the minimal episode, Ryan? We, you were talking about just in case versus just for when. We have yeah. these two rules in mm. the minimalist rule book. Uh, it's so important to be able to decipher between the two. And, and because we can justify anything just Absolutely. in case. I'm, yeah. And that's what's causing this panic right now. People are going to Target or Walmart or wherever and it's, I need 
need this just in case because I see everyone else doing it. Yeah. And that mob mentality is causing everyone to panic. It is create has created its own sort of metaphorical zombie apocalypse because we are now the zombies. We're mm. behaving like zombies. Yeah. And that's what we talked about. And and this uh, this guy who's running this blog here says, but there's uh, such a thing as being too intense. You probably won't need to store water. The water kept running in Wuhan. You probably won't need a generator. The Wuhan has electricity. So what he's talking about here is the epicenter of this crisis where more people are affected and infected than anywhere else in the entire world. Mm -hmm. They still have running water. They still have electricity. So the most important thing seems to be food and toiletries and other necessities. Uh, If the epidemic gets bad, You'll want food so you can avoid going out to coronavirus-filled supermarkets and restaurants. Yeah, so it's funny with the food with the food thing. It's not about uh, the the grocery stores are going to run out of food. It's being able to self quarantine. You want to have enough food for you and your family to be able to self quarantine as long not as long as you can, but you know for for a week at a time at least. Yeah, and that, that's the recommendation recommendation that I know Sam Harris makes, and and it's a recommendation that I make as well. It's uh, by the way, if you want to a link to the a bunch of different coronavirus important articles and podcasts, go to the coronavirus post that the minimalists put up called Let's Talk About the Coronavirus, just theminimalists.com slash coronavirus. You can find it over there. There's a bunch of links in that article that will take you to reasonable sources uh, yeah. that have a measured nuanced view about this. And then, of course, the, the blog post we're referencing right now has a bunch of resources in it, in it as well. If the ep- epidemic gets bad, you want food. So for me, I have uh, I have five cases of sardines because ultimately <laughs> that that's all that I mean, I can survive off sardines. My family can survive off sardines for many weeks if we needed to. And here's the thing too, Josh. You actually eat sardines on a regular basis. Yes. You didn't just buy canned sardines. No, I eat sardines most days. Right, exactly. Where I I was at Trader Joe's and I see people buying cases of tuna fish. And you know damn well, like they're not eating tuna fish every single day, but because of this hoarding mentality, they're, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just pointing out how you actually bought something that you do eat. Right. And that's something somebody told you. you Right. Exactly. No, no. I I, I usually buy one case at a time. I just have four, about four extras now. Yeah. And, but I'm still going to eat those, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, put a link to the Wild Planet sardines because I, I I mean, I don't think they'll sell out, but they might. Um, Mm -hmm. and so folks, if if they're interested, I just get them from Amazon. And we're actually going to talk about Amazon here in a moment. So, um, and if you get the coronavirus and are feeling sick, you'll want food at home so you don't have to go too far out of bed, right? If you get the coronavirus, you do want to have some food at home. So having at least a week's worth of food Mm -hmm. is important. Going beyond a week, it it starts to get a bit sketchy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I have enough sardines will probably last several weeks at this point. But I don't don't have freezers, deep freezers full of stuff because that level of preparation is too intense for me. And I'm I'm personally not comfortable with it. And I also know that even in the epicenter of the pandemic, you don't have these sorts of problems. Yeah. And so we're preparing for problems that don't exist. Isn't, isn't that a yeah. fair way to put it? Yeah, th- th- there's a very uh, useful economic distinction that comes into play here. So it's transaction cost versus opportunity cost. Transaction cost is the tag price cost. It's the direct amount that you pay in order to buy a service or good. You know, I'm, I pay $12 for a movie ticket, $5 for the popcorn. Opportunity cost is the value of the best opportunity that you have to forego or mm-hmm. sacrifice in order to pay for some good or service. Mm-hmm. And usually when we think about situations like this, we only think in terms of transaction costs. Well, it's only gonna cost me $5 to buy that extra can of tuna or only gonna cost me you know, $5 to buy that extra thing and that's all I gotta pay. But there's an opportunity cost there as well. And that means you are losing out on the opportunities that come 
from saving for something that is a real need. So if you overestimate how much you need and you get too intense and you buy food for two weeks, three weeks, that's gonna really hurt you. Mm -hmm. If you get to week three, you don't need that food, you have all this extra stuff that you don't need, and what if a real medical emergency happens? Mm -hmm. Well, you've already spent your money on that. Savings is not just like this moral virtue, it's actually a decision to capitalize on future opportunities and emergencies. Don't compromise that ability by over-investing in just-in-case needs. Yeah, He goes on to say here that, uh, what about Amazon? Getting fresh groceries delivered whenever you want seems like a pretty good alternative to stocking up on canned beans, right? You, but you need faith that it won't be so bad that Amazon's logistics break down. And I think that faith is mostly justified. Because the Chinese version of Amazon seems to be ma still be making deliveries in Wuhan right now. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine, given a pandemic, nuclear war, or demon apocalypse, getting anything getting between Jeff Bezos and his next billion dollars. <laughs> Three cheers for capitalism. <laughs> I mean, and this is one of those things, I and mean, we talk about the market and, and, yeah. and, and being an advocate for the free market, but... TK, is this one of those examples where the free market, a place like Amazon or any of these other places that step, even local business, especially local businesses that step up to help? I'll give an example. Bel Campo, who Ryan and I are big fans of, is a local restaurant. You've been to Bel Campo with us, I think, before. Yeah, um, they got so, like one of the best hamburgers. Like oh, yeah. it's yeah. yeah. yeah so, and so, so they have a farm here in, in California, so it's all sustainably raised uh, meat. And what they what they're doing right now is free deliveries to anyone in in LA County. Uh, from their app, free deliveries of food that you can prepare on your own or their own prepared food, mm -hmm. uh, the meals, instead of having to go to their restaurant. So local businesses step up as well. You want to talk a little bit about that? Wait, what do you want me to say? Well, just, <laughs> just about how the free market is actually giving us yeah. opportunity and giving us access to things that we feel like we're not going to have access to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the, uh, the very fact that there are multiple businesses like that that are capable of delivering goods and services is itself the product of self-interested innovation. It's not the result of someone putting a gun to someone else's head and saying, you must serve humanity. It's the result of people trying to figure out creative ways that they can provide for themselves and their family. And in order to survive in business, what do you have to do? You gotta figure out how to solve problems for people that are valuable enough for them to pay you. So the free market has put us in this kind of position where we are able to deliver like this. Even you talking about Amazon, uh, being able to rely on something like that, how people in China have had to have faith in that, and it's been able to help them out, that's the result of free market innovation. So it can be easy during times like this to find that total jerk that's hogging up a bunch of stuff they don't need and trying to charge $70 for hand sanitizer or something along those lines, but the free market is solving a lot more problems than it creates, and it also punishes those jerks because a lot of those people are left stuck with inventory that they can't move. Yeah, yeah. and we're yeah. gonna talk about that next week on yeah. the Economy Podcast yeah. as well. He goes on to say, coronavirus can remain on objects for a few days and Amazon warehouse workers may come into work with the condition. So if you're using Amazon as part of your self-quarantine strategy, you should probably open packages away from your main living space using gloves and dis and then disinfect anything inside that doesn't have its own packaging from the manufacturer. And that's mm. something that's important to think about. Yeah. If you are still getting packages right now, remember, it it, the, you could have the coronavirus on, or just the flu virus on it too. Yeah. Um, but you could certainly have the coronavirus there. Uh, next section here is how bad will it be? From the Chinese numbers, people have estimated these death rates. And really what it looks like here, what we're seeing, so this is the, the, the 
mortality rate. If you're older than 80 years old, it's 22% death rate. So it's really, really high. If you're Ella's age, my daughter, it's zero. It's yeah. no one under 10 has died from this. And so they, but you have to keep in mind, the reason they're closing these schools is because these kids are now coming home and they're passing yeah. on to grandparents right. who are 80 and one in five chance of dying. Yeah. And so that's why this is so dire for many of us. Not because, I mean, Ryan is, is crazy healthy. What he'll do is like, he'll get a, a slight sore throat and then it'll go away. But if he was living with his grandma, she would be the one at risk. But him running into seven other people who might live with their grandma, they that's how this whole thing spreads. Yeah. And that's why it's out of control. We're beyond containment at this point. Oh, right, yeah. It's, it's just a matter of time. And so we hear this term flattening the curve, right? Mm -hmm. And so the reason we want to flatten the curve, we want to, inf because somewhere between 30 to 70% of all adults are going to become affected with this before it becomes endemic. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, in, in that process, as these people are infected, we don't want this huge spike right now. We don't want 70% of the American population to be infected yeah. today. Our healthcare system couldn't handle it. Exactly. But if 70% of the population is infected over the course of 18 months, then pos it's still a strain on the healthcare system. Much more doable. But it doesn't collapse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's really what they're talking about here. There's a, a chart with age distribution and hospitalization. I'm not going to go through all the stats, but you can, you can check that out here. Uh, Self-quarantining now versus later now saves more lives is, is the main key yeah. that he makes in, in the article here. Uh, what is the end game? Some sources argue that recovered patients can get reinfected with coronavirus, i.e. people don't build immunity after surviving it once. Oh, wow. The, and, I didn't uh, realize that. But they don't know if it's true. It's an argument. It's one mm. hypothesis, right? Yeah. So let's be clear. Everything we're bringing forward here is the best information we have based on, on scientific facts. However, there's still a whole lot of speculation. Yeah, there's, so, there's so many unknowns. Even like the how long it survives on surfaces, like they still don't know that 100 percent. i've right. seen like less than 24 hours and i've seen up to 72 hours and it's like and, I don't well, it also depends on the surface right so if it's yeah. on copper it'll it'll die relatively quickly because uh, uh it, it'll react with copper viruses in general react with copper mm. copper helps kill viruses if it's on metal like stainless steel it can last much much longer but mm. how long we we don't know that's why it is important for us to to constantly wash our hands and to don't avoid touch touching face. our faces yeah <laughs> and that's hard advice yeah and i i still fail at it every Every day, but oh, I am yeah. touching myself. I'm touching myself. <laughs> no, I mean, less and less no, as a result of the. I am masturbating like crazy during this. But I've washed my hands. I wash my hands just vigorously beforehand. And then well, what do, do they say? Like the, the average person touches their face like you know 55 times a day or something crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, my face is itching right now just talking about it. Uh, to be fair, I've been touching Bex's face a lot more. <laughs> Uh, but before you touch him, you're, do, you're doing right. your part. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, uh, whatever you guys are into. This is what you get on these maximal episodes. <laughs> Masturbation jokes just, mostly. Just, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Um, there's a microbiologist here. Um, da, 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 da. Health care, home health care. Uh, some people in the rationalist community have put together a document with some useful suggestions. Among them, most coronavirus infections will be generally mild and probably treated at home. Uh, we talked about uh, Matt Diavella may or may not have the coronavirus. We suspect it's just a cold or flu, yeah. and that's what we're hoping for. We couldn't find tests, so we, don't, we can't know for sure, but he has mild symptoms right mm -hmm. now. Um, and the problem is we can't 
test. We're, we're doing a terrible job as the United States. Our government is doing a horrible job. The CDC, the FDA, and the current administration. No, didn't are, you hear our government absolve themselves of responsibility? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but then you have uh, supposed third world countries like Senegal uh, who are mm -hmm. doing a phenomenal job and yeah. even coming up with new tests that might change the entire world. You mm -hmm. also have countries, uh, specifically South Korea, who are doing drive-through testing mm -hmm. now and we're going to see some amazing outcomes from uh, there's going to be this the uh, this disparity in outcomes between places like south korea and the united states because we did not respond quickly we did not respond appropriately and by the way uh, the the way that that we're set up right now is we don't have other countries who even want to help us at this point right because we haven't done a good job of being inclusive no we've done a good job of like ignoring everything up until the last minute and isolating ourselves yeah. in a way that is not productive and so i think if uh even if we had screwed this up but we had done a good job uh if our country had done a good job of partnering with other countries you might have countries like south korea who would be a lot more willing to to come over and try to help us out or senegal willing to come over here and help us out yeah. and it's much more difficult right now yeah tk yeah. you look like you want to say something man i i i, I'm, I just kind of cringe when we say if we had done if we had done if our country um because i don't think that's you me and ryan no uh, I, I think our government and, and, and i think maybe yeah. when we get into our discussion um you'll see exactly why that's a very important distinction to make uh, let's be, make it be, now be, oh yeah be, so I, I do think it is possible and I, and I and i think it's actually the case for our experience that our government can make decisions that put us in very compromised positions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they are decisions that we ourselves would not necessarily make. They are decisions that we ourselves can protest and can say are irrational. Um, and I think if it's fair to criticize the free market and say, hey, here's an inefficiency in the market, what are we gonna do about that? I think it's equally fair to point out government inefficiencies, government incompetence that put us in these kinds of positions. Because I do not think we are in this healthcare position because of a lack of innovation, but because of artificial restrictions that are being placed on our ability to innovate by our government itself. I, hear you, I, I think this whole epidemic we're experiencing is one of the best arguments for free markets we mm. can possibly make. And I'll save a lot of this for you know when we get into <laughs> it. But 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 I think the healthcare system might be one of the best examples we have of mm. the real kind of price gouging that we don't talk about because it's a socially acceptable form of it. I hear you, TK. You're blaming Obama. <laughs> 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 no, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, O Biden. Thanks, O. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and clear, TK. Um, no, so. <laughs> but isn't that ridiculous, though? Like, oh my god. Anyway, yeah. anyway. So, so I hear you, TK. You're just racist, basically. <laughs> basically, you're racist. <laughs> so, so I'd say you're race full. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, so um, bring us back on the rails here, Josh. I, I will. I'll do my best. When, when we're talking about the the free market versus the the government here let me give you one example of of total ineptitude the fda and the cdc have a sent actually let me see if it's in this article cdc um cdc oh let me see if I can basically find the fda and cdc has conspired against us <laughs> yeah here we go no, this is perfect. No problem so bad. O Overregulation can't make it worse. This is yeah. this is just to 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 put a say uh, that again. There's no problem. There's no problem so, so bad, bad that overregulation can't make it worse. Okay, yes. And, and I would I would even say something more conservative. I would say there is no problem so bad 
that some form of modest regulation can't make horrifically worse. Mm. Oh boy. Well, yeah. uh, let's at least start with <laughs> <laughs> Be- because it's not the amount of regulation, it's not the quality of it, it's the quantity of it. Just a little amount of regulation in the wrong direction can create great sure. tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, we can definitely I think we'll disagree on that and and we can unpack it eventually, hopefully. Yeah. But we can all agree that overregulation is a bad thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so so this is what the the blog post here says. So far the government has bungled its coronavirus response pretty egregiously. Most hospitals have the equipment in-house to detect the coronavirus, but the FDA banned them from using it. They said all coronavirus tests needed FDA approval and refused to approve anything except the official tests made by the CDC. Unfortunately, the official CDC test was defective. The test itself worked, but one component in the test kit was broken. Most hospitals had their own supply of this component and could have substituted it in, but the way the FDA approved the CDC test banned them from doing this. Good God. This is this is extreme. This isn't just incompetence. This yeah. almost feels like they were trying to well, not have people get tested, <clears throat> which why wouldn't they want people tested, TK? Yeah, we'll see. I, mm. I, 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 I share the belief of those who say never settle for conspiracy when incompetence is a perfectly rational explanation. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. No. I'm saying it's right out in the open. Right. I, I mean, because our president said, hey, that might make our numbers look bad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to why. It's they... not a conspiracy. It's coming out of his own lips. Yeah. Well, well but, but, but I, I think even prior to this president, like these kinds of restrictions on, on how we evaluate what sorts of uh, medicinal innovations are allowed into the marketplace? They've existed for a very long time. You're right. These aren't his. These aren't yeah, President yeah. Trump's restrictions. Right, no. right. They've existed long before Trump and long before Obama. If you want to go there too, this uh, didn't like this didn't wh- start with like whatever well, president you arbitrarily well, hold decide. On, hold, hey. hold on, hold on. There was a lot of changing of uh, and dismantling of certain parts of the CDC under under this regulation and i'm not one to sit here and be like you know thanks obama or it's all trump's fault you mean administration under this administration yeah administration what did i say regulation oh yeah yeah under the administration so so it's like uh there are certain aspects of it where yes it has actually changed i mean there was a there was a response uh an epidemic response team that under the cdc yeah under the cdc that has been cut in half under this administration. No, 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 removed, dismantled. Totally dismantled. Yes. Oh, wow. They're gone. So I, I take that back. It's been totally dismantled. So um, there is a little bit to blame of how it's changed in the last just few years of, of, of how we're responding. But but to your yeah. point, though, yeah, there are certainly systems in place that have been, and I don't want to like derail what you were trying to say, TK, but it is, I think it is important because, again, I don't want to sit here and be like, thanks, Obama, and it's all Trump's fault, but I do, but the more I dig, the more I realize, like, yes, there's a problem with the way the administration is going right now that is preventing us from uh, from having the exact care and help that we need as a as a society. TK, can we agree on this? There are some countries who are handling this better than the United States. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. so so there are there are governments that are doing a better job than our current government, and our so and our government could do a better job yeah. than what they are currently doing. Yeah, and that's not that's not a partisan thing. That and, uh, and 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 there there are mafias that are less violent than other mafias. <laughs> well, yeah, there, I mean, there, yeah. there there are murderers that kill fewer people than other murderers. <laughs> okay, let's expand it. Let's keep going with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, what I'm saying is like. 
uh, far be it from me to ever use any resources that I will ever have to come to the defense of politicians or politics. That like like if I died right now, um, I I feel like there are plenty of people who will use their resources and gifts for that. That's what I'm not. I'm not on this planet for. I'm not on this planet for that. I'm here to point people back to their own personal power and to try to fight against the things, whether it's political or anything else, that get in the way of us embracing and expressing our own personal power. I'm not a political guy. I'm decisively apolitical. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and I I think undue faith in politics and politicians, this whole philosophy of, oh, we just got to get the right person in office. I think that is one of the greatest problems in our society that keeps us from taking individual responsibility for our world. Um, We get too comfortable with saying, well, I showed up to the voting booth and I I made my decisions and I voted for my guy. Mm -hmm. So this is your president, not my president. I can't do anything else. So I'm just going to complain for the next four years until hopefully I can win. I think that's lazy. I think that's reckless. I think that's irresponsible. And if you really care about the world, you will exercise your ability to vote in the free market 365 days out of the year. You really care about society, get out there and do things, not when it's politically hot to do them. Mm -hmm. Get out there and take charge of your life economically. Take charge of your life financially. Take charge of your life in terms of health. Take take responsibility for your relationships in your neighborhood. So I get annoyed by the talk of politics because I think most of it is a form of socially acceptable, self-righteous excuse-making by people who want to put the responsibility for the world on those who have power, and it's based on the presupposition that you and I don't have power. I, I, to- I totally agree with what you're saying, man, but here's the thing, though. I'm not saying it doesn't have an effect. Okay. But, 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 for, it, me, okay. but for me, it's the starting point. I, yeah. I think politics is the lagging indicator of change that takes place on a personal level. Sure. Politicians will follow us. They will do whatever is politically profitable to do. Don't think that things like marijuana are more legal now because politicians experience some kind of spiritual enlightenment. Don't think that, you know, like after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, that the world and the politicians just became more enlightened, right? Right. That's not what happened. Politicians experience the change as something that was more politically profitable. And they said, "Uh uh-oh, we can't be taken seriously anymore in our careers unless we give the people what they refuse to live without. So when we demand freedom, they respect our freedom and they step back. But when we show that we can be easily duped with promises of free goodies and other fantasies that they themselves prove over and over again that they cannot deliver, mm-hmm. then they'll keep giving us that. Yeah. You know, So politics, politics is just not the starting point for personal change. I don't dismiss it as irrelevant. I don't condemn you if you worry about certain things, but that's mm-hmm. never where change begins. But however, politicians, I'll tell you what I will give them credit for. I'll tell you what their genius is at. They are geniuses at centering themselves in the middle of movements that ordinary human beings have initiated and, po- and positioning themselves as the poster boy, mm. uh, uh, um, you know, for that movement, mm-hmm. taking the credit, you know, um, you know, but, but, but I think the credit belongs to us. That, that's all. Um, and, I, and I know there was something different from that you wanted me to talk about, but I just got <laughs> well, like so angry and so no, fired up that I had to just no, you know, this is going to talk about. Man, what, what I hear you saying is is that the government is a murderer, and it doesn't matter who the administration is. Is that yes, yeah, some governments are going to murder less than other governments. I totally understand that, but right now this situation today with the coronavirus testing, there is there is a problem, and, and this is, goes back to what Josh was talking about with regulation, how it has stopped us from getting what we need because of very specific regulations done under uh, un, under this administration. And I'm not trying to blame. I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, oh, it's Trump's yeah. fault. Yeah. I'm just saying that, uh, just to the point of this article, mm. that there is, uh, there is regulation that has happened today 
uh, that has totally stunted us from really knowing how many people have the coronavirus in the Except United States. Except these aren't, these aren't Trump administration regulations. These are old regulations. And what, what TK is saying oh, is Oh, I didn't realize that. So yes. th- you're saying that... The F- this- these are old FDA and CDC oh, regulations. Okay, okay, okay. The, so, the, so the, the and, CDC... And, 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 and by the way, li- libertarians and anarchists have been complaining for years. No one listens to them. <sighs> They've been complaining for years about the lack of innovation in medicine and healthcare precisely because of this Interesting. Problem. So the CD- and, and plenty of presidents on both sides have had the opportunity to do something about it mm. and have ignored it because it wasn't politically profitable for I, them to I do. I thought so. you were saying, saying this I thought you were saying the CDC just just outlawed the using no, of the, the test. These, these are current uh, regulations, okay, right? Okay. So I'll, I'll keep going here in the article here. FDA approved, we open that door. Uh, FDA approved the CDC test, banned them from doing this. The CDC tried as hard as it could to fix their broken test quickly, but they weren't able to do it fast enough to satisfy demand. Mm-hmm. In order to ration the scarce tests during the, the minimal episode that we did about pandi- t- pandemic preparation, I talked about how Matt Diavella couldn't get a test, and I have five really well connected doctors and none of them could get him a test and and so it's because of this because of these these regulations here right and so they couldn't do it uh, fast enough in order to to ration the scarce test they mandated that hospitals only test people who had recently been to china or been in close contact with someone who had and and, uh, there's another there's an example here this was a disaster for example here's a story there's a link uh, to a person who traveled to japan where the coronavirus is active, he came back to the United States, starting to develop symptoms, and went to a hospital. The hospital said since he hadn't been to China, they couldn't test him and sent him home, even though he had the symptoms mm. of the coronavirus because of these regulations saying you can't test that person, right? Wow. Yeah. But even worse. And these regulations have been intact for, for, for decades. Yeah, I don't know how long, but... Okay. but at least a decade, probably multiple decades. Yeah. I just think it's weird how uh, what regulation, what regulation is in place. The verbiage that says only people who have visited China can get tested. Like that. That's what I don't understand. How has that specific regulation been in place? Well, no, for decades? no. Th- that was that was an additional regulation that the hospital made, mm. uh, be, uh, and the CDC probably. I don't know for sure to, fil- to uh, filter out like because they only had you know if they gotcha. only have seventy five tests who who can we give these tests to right yeah. we can't give it to everyone mm-hmm. because of these decades old regulations from the FDA and the CDC okay. to make e- e- things even worse the policy ruled out by fiat ever being able to detect when the epidemic spread to the, U- the United States so in mid-February when a patient with no history of travel to China came to a hospital in California with coronavirus symptoms the doctors had to ask the CDC for special permission to test the CDC dithered for four days before granting the permission, during which nobody put any work into containing the disease. Finally, the test came back positive after after some health workers had already been infected. Mm. Now, health workers that become infected with this, they are working with elderly patients. They are as doctors know and admit, I read an article on it this morning, they admit that they may might accidentally kill people and these doctors aren't even allowed to get tested because they don't meet the requirements. But wow. let's talk about the guy that's buying too much toilet paper. 
<laughs> because that's more socially acceptable. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I can't really make too many enemies talking about that guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Hard to criticize power though. Mm. It's hard to criticize the socially acceptable heroes. Mm. It's easy to talk about price gouging when it's some, you know, uh complete dork that we can all agree on. Yeah. It's a lot harder to talk about price gouging when it's our beloved politicians. Mm -hmm. Really mm. hard. Mm. And that's the weird thing. We have beloved politicians who are also the most hated people as well by almost by by definition like in order to be to be loved you have to be hated and it causes and in a weird way it causes the love right uh, and this is the difference because i you know with tribalism tribalism unites against something community unites around something mm. and and politics has become especially in the few most recent decades has become tribalism where we're uniting against those those libtards or we're, we're we're uniting against those kooky conservatives or whatever as opposed to being a community that says oh actually we have these shared values why don't yeah. why don't we look at what our values are because my values are apolitical we had Pete Buttigieg on this podcast and we didn't talk to him about politics. We talked to him about values because that's something that's important to me. If we are going to have some sort of leadership, I want leadership that, that that talks about values. I don't care whether you're blue or red, D or R. That that doesn't matter as much to me as being able to articulate what your values are because your beliefs might be different from my beliefs. Yeah. But that doesn't. In fact, Ryan's beliefs are radically different from mine. Sean and I have different beliefs. TK, you and I have different beliefs. And, but we tend to have similar values, and we can unite around something. As a, because if we're uniting against something, as yeah. soon as that enemy goes away, we disperse because we don't have anything. We don't have any glue yeah. that keeps us together. Mm -hmm. And so we yeah. need community that keeps us together. The community unites around those shared values. Here's something that gets uh, an important distinction that gets left out of. Uh, a lot of the political shouting that we do. It's the distinction between a social or moral philosophy and a political philosophy. Your social moral philosophy is your set of beliefs about how societies ought to function, how human beings should interact with one another and live with each other. So if you say something like, hey, if you see an old lady struggling to carry her groceries, she looks like she's gonna fall over, I believe it would be a good thing for you to help that lady out, as yeah. long as you're able to do right. so, right? That's part of your social philosophy. Mm -hmm. Now your political philosophy is your set of beliefs about the role that legislative force should play in implementing a particular social or moral philosophy. So if you say something like, I believe government ought to pass a law that says anyone who sees an old lady struggling with their groceries, you gotta help her out or you're gonna be fined or go to jail. That's a political philosophy. If you say, I believe government should stay out of that and we should make our own decisions, that too is a political philosophy. Yeah. And sometimes I think we assume that just because people disagree with our political philosophy, they don't share any common ground when it comes to our social and moral philosophy. And it locks us in this paradigm of, of making us assume you're a bad person, you don't care about the poor, you don't care about those who struggle, you don't care about the elderly you don't care about health care mm -hmm. because you have a different philosophy about the role that government should play in it and i think that's nonsense and it hinders our ability to empathetically communicate with one another mm -hmm. we have to begin from a starting point that says hey look we all have a common social and moral philosophy. We all want to create a better world. And we may have radically different ideas about the role that government should play in that, but let's at least talk to each other as if we care about our very existence as human beings. Mm. None of us all wanna just fall over and die. No. We just have different beliefs about what's gonna make us do that. 
But yeah. why do we unite against people all the time? Like we we almost feel mm. like that because like even if it's a toilet paper guy, yeah, or if it is the president or anyone else, like we we want to feel that. And by the way, social media has made it so that that uh, recreational outrage has become a a sort of uh, pandemic in its in its own right. Uh, is that just because it's a, it feels like a shortcut? It's tribalism. It's it's also like I know, but why why the tribalism? Because uh, why I, tribalism instead of community? Uh, it feels good to be angry. I think everyone wants to be a hero. And when you can go on social media and you can start putting someone down in an angrily way and voicing this outrage, you some people actually feel like they're doing some kind of good. But it feels good to help, too. So I don't think it, just because it feels good is the answer. Why do we gravitate toward well, that I, before we gravitate? Yeah, so you said community. it. It's, anger is much easier to, to, to react on than it is to react on empathy. Mm. So to, to TK's point, like, yeah, it would be much better for people to, uh, uh, to look in the mirror and be like, oh, what can I go out? How many old ladies can I go out and help today? I'm going to keep a tally <laughs> how many old ladies I can help today, where in, instead it's it's easier to get on social media and to be outraged. And you, you are getting the same exact dopamine hit, whether you are expressing outrage or whether you are going out and helping old ladies and it's easier to express the outrage. That's my hypothesis yeah. on it. I, I yeah. agree with everything you just said. I would change one word from empathy to compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, just because uh, for those of you who have read Paul Bloom's book, The Case Against Empathy, mm-hmm. I, I, I I believe in that. Sure. I, I believe in, in yeah. the, the case yeah. against... And yeah, and you and I disagree on stuff all the time. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, and all I'm saying is that, uh, especially in these times, I don't want people to be empathetic mm-hmm. and because what empathetic leads to panic because what, what's happening now is if I empathize with the guy who's hoarding toilet paper yeah. I'm also going to feel that same panic that right. he feels I want to feel compassion for him be like oh yeah. that poor guy yeah. I can't believe he's panicking there, there's Maybe a time and a place myself there's a time and a place for empathy absolutely certainly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think another thing too man is that the right thing to do and this gets downplayed a lot doing the right thing is just kind of tough you know why, why yeah. donuts over broccoli why McDonald's over Trader Joe's yes. it's, it's just easier man it's so much easier. Why, why, why do we spend on stuff that isn't important now more than we save and invest? Mm. Like this country is terrible Dude. when it comes to investing and saving, right? Why is that? Because it's hard, you know? It, it's not that no one's telling us to do it prescriptively. It's just, it, it's, it's difficult to figure out how to do and exercise the discipline. So the right mm. things in life tend to be very difficult in the short term but very rewarding in the long term. Yeah. The things that are bad for us tend to be like that donut, very delicious in the short term, yep. but not so rewarding in the long term. And that's just a difficult thing to do, and politics is no exception. It's, it's easier to be lazy and to believe what we're told, to believe what our family believes, and get our beliefs from our favorite news network and from whoever that charming political commentator is, than it is to do the hard work of thinking for yourself. Mm-hmm. There are social costs that come from thinking independently, right? There's but, a lot of effort involved in doing your own research. That can be tough. It's just harder. Yeah. And sometimes we do have to rely on proxies. And I think that's helpful. I mean, I love following TK on Twitter because he's one of the proxies that I follow. By the way, yeah. follow him at TK at TK underscore Coleman. Uh, was there another TK Coleman somewhere? TKcoleman.com, not dot gov. It's <laughs> 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 a good tag. You know, the, but anyway, he, yeah. TK is a proxy for many of these beliefs. And I might, I might, but even, even then, I don't want to 
treat him as the proxy, right? And so mm -hmm. I'll have opposite proxies as well. I might follow someone like Kyle Kalinsky, who is you know a, a progressive and and really believes in, in in populism and all of these other things. And like be, because I I don't agree with everything that he says, but I can formulate my own opinion. And so you have to have these yeah. different sort of these proxies by which you do formulate your own opinion, right? Yeah. Because we're not going to form any of our opinions in a in a or beliefs or ideas in a vacuum there's the difference between personal beliefs and mimetic beliefs but most of our beliefs i mean yeah. if, if you back me in the corner i'm going to argue they're probably the same thing they're all mimetic beliefs because we are influenced by our community we're influenced by the web we're influenced by the articles we read the books we read the tv shows we watch and we're also influenced by all the junk that we let in as well mm -hmm. those create those mimetic beliefs just as much if not more so than the the uh the books that we read yeah i, th I think our problem is human Humans want the shortest path to dopamine hits mm. yeah. and we take the easiest paths like you you said it earlier Josh like it is unfortunately there's a lot of easy ways to get those dopamine hits uh, eating a donut being outraged on Twitter that's so much easier we're gonna get the same dopamine hit as if we went out and went out and tried to help old ladies but guess what going out and help, helping old ladies takes self-regulation it takes discipline it takes a lot of effort mm -hmm. and we uh, yeah I mean it's it's interesting I'm just like sitting here thinking about how our whole goal, what we do with the minimalists, it's encouraging people to make that effort. Well, yeah. let me let me let me finish this this section here because I think there is an interesting conversation that you're both talking about here with the self reliance, but also the need for some regulation mm -hmm. that that Ryan is talking about. And I think what what TK is is saying is maybe that regulation is is a bit overblown at yeah. the very least. But yeah, like Jordan represents self reliance. Be successful on your own scale. LeBron represents like regulation. Reps, <laughs> help me out so that I can be. Successful. <laughs> so that, that, this is a fascinating analogy here because Michael Jordan <laughs> seems like a miserable human being. I, I, I had to shoehorn that in. I, I just, that's not right, but I had to shoehorn it. That's in. pretty funny. Man. That's good. That was good. All right, all right. So uh, article says here. Uh, there are many points where this could have been avoided. A better CDC could have made tests that worked from the beginning or ramped up production of working tests faster. Or they could have come up with smarter criteria for rationing tests. This is all true, right? Mm -hmm. But it would have been even better to have a system where things don't have to go perfectly and where a few mistakes don't choke up the entire response to an epidemic for Ooh. weeks. That is interesting because when things don't go perfectly, mm -hmm. it creates other negative consequences. Mm. All of a sudden, we're going to sue the government. We're going to sue. Oh, man, that's so interesting. If we hadn't let our culture reach the point where governments ban things by default and review at leisure and where individual, and initi individual initiative is frowned upon in favor of waiting for official permission to do the right thing, we could have recovered from all these mistakes. Hospitals would have used their existing tests, which they already have more than enough of. Doctors would have had permission to test suspicious cases at their discretion. That's the thing that drives me the most crazy is they have tests on site. They are not allowed to use for the coronavirus. Unbelievable. That's regulation. So what happens if worst. what happens if they use it and they go against the regulation? I'm sure they get shut down. You you wow. can't go against CDC and, and FDA yeah. uh, if you are a hospital. Jesus. You would. Uh, can you imagine trying to go against them? Um, mm. So anyway, uh, back to back to the text here. I'll finish this paragraph real quick. 
uh, would have had the chance uh, uh, test suspicious cases at their discretion, and we would have had a chance to catch infections early before they could spread. That would have been the key for containment. Mm-hmm. Had we had enough tests, had we tested frequently and aggressively, mm-hmm. had we created a campaign of awareness, not panic, we would have been able to get more people tested and maybe we could have contained the thing. Yeah. Uh, it seems that Senegal may have contained the, the spread because they did this way before us and we could have done it as well had we gotten a lot of these roadblocks out of the way. And we would have had the chance to catch infections early if the government didn't already regulate adrenaline, bisoprin, insulin, and genetic testing to the point of, of near unavailability, maybe people would have thought it was weirder or raised more of a fuss when they started doing it for coronavirus tests, too. If you don't trust me, trust former FDA director Scott Gottlieb, who explains the situation here in an unusually candid communication from an ex-government official talking about his former agency. His Twitter feed is a great resource for information in general. Last sentence here. And here's a more careful analysis of some of the laws around diagnostic testing and how they all contributed to the current crisis. And by... And by more careful, I mean it ends with, bottom line, the FDA is going to kill us all. That seems like, that, that seems like hyperbole to me. Yeah. But talk to me, TK. Why, wait, wait, like, why, why do you say it seems like? I mean, because it almost seems like they're projecting an intention. And we're not saying that yeah. it's the intention of the FDA yeah. to kill people. We, we don't think that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I, I think most of the stupid and incompetent and tragic things that we do are based on good intentions. Hmm. Which is why the economist Thomas Sowell said that it's important that whenever we evaluate a policy, we don't evaluate it according to its intentions, but that we evaluate it according to its actual outcomes. And and this is where it can be very easy to let smooth sayers off the hook because many of the people that do us the greatest harm are people that actually want to help, yeah. right? Like, man, I just want to help the poor. But just because you want to help the poor doesn't mean you understand the poor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're competent. It doesn't mean you know economics. It doesn't mean that you know what's best for those people. It just means you want to help. But there are people who want to help, who break things, who screw things up, and who hurt people all the time. There's no reason to assume that politicians are some kind of magical exception to this fact. And we have to hold people accountable to not just having great intentions, not just having a love for humanity, but devoting themselves to thinking things through and and, and, and evaluating the, the policies that we put in place to see if down the road, do they actually work? I think that's so important. But Ryan, doesn't it make sense for us to have some regulation? It feels to me, at least intrinsically, like some of these regulations aren't just good intentioned, but they do save lives. No, it seems that it makes sense to me that that we need some regulations in place, but effective regulations. Yeah, there's a balance. I mean, it's think about the environmental regulations. If we didn't have Clean Air Acts and Clean Water Acts, we would, or you know, deforestation uh, regulations. Uh, our environment would be much worse off, hundred percent. I mean, look at look at the the smog that L.A. had uh, back in what the sixties, seventies, yeah, sixties and seventies. Yeah, seventies yeah. was like actually nineteen ninety was the peak. Yeah, so like there was this cancerous cloud in L.A. that you couldn't avoid, and yeah, it took the government to come in and be like, hey, we have to regulate this, otherwise 
uh, citizens of Los Angeles are going to die from cancer uh, because of this crazy smog. And they it's, are dying from cancer. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so it's... So, yeah, I mean, I I guess... I mean, but you agree that there should be some regulations, right, TK? It depends on what you mean by regulation. Well, yeah. so, so, so Ryan's let, talking about... Right, this is per, ta- I totally right. agree with what Ryan's saying. So in 1990, you look at yeah. the smog levels, you look at pictures from 1990 or 89 or 88 when, sure. when LA was at its peak... Uh, uh, cancerous cloud yeah yeah Yeah. and 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 the regulations that were put in place have i mean have made it considerably better however it's still the worst city in in the country in terms of uh pollution Mm -hmm. but wouldn't you agree that those regulations have made things better here and and that they were the best thing to do yes so so this is actually a very tough argument that that anyone in my position deals with a lot both in in hypothetical futuristic scenarios and when it comes to historical examples. Mm -hmm. So let me just use an everyday example to to kind of illustrate the the, the sort of struggle I have with this argument. Let's say uh, you spill over your cup of coffee, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, And I immediately see that it spilled over and I go, I gotta help Josh. And I pick up the coffee, I grab some paper towel and I clean it up. Is it true as a matter of fact that the spill was cleaned up because of my efforts? Absolutely, give credit where credit is due. I fixed it. I fixed the problem. I cleaned mm-hmm. up the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, however, can we use that as a basis for arguing that the problem would not have gotten solved had I not intervened? Well, now that's a little debatable, right? Because we don't get a chance to see what that alternative outcome is because TK intervened and cleaned it up. However, a case could be made that had TK not intervened, there would have been other forces and factors that would have been incentivized mm. by their own self-interest to do something about that particular problem. Yeah. Now, I'm not even going to ask a, this you. This is a great example. I had a roommate who I left for a week and I came back and he had spilt uh, uh, like a two liter of Coke yeah. on the carpet. Yeah. and let it dry coca-cola coca-cola yeah. sitting there caked in sugary caked and his his uh because he wasn't regulated because he wasn't regulated yeah. he didn't clean it up because he is a lazy asshole he didn't <laughs> right. clean it up right and his thought was is well we're moving because we were moving out in the next month he really wasn't living there he was living with his girlfriend it's not my problem someone else will clean it up so guess what uh, I didn't clean it up because I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to clean his room for him. So uh, the deposit paid for it and I just kept the deposit and gave him none of the deposit when I got that check. So uh, there was, there was yes, absolutely a mechanism that came in to clean that up, but it cost, there were so many re- unnecessary resources that were that were used up because he didn't take initiative to clean up his own mess. What is sure, the economic sure. term for this? The economic term when you do something, if you pollute and it, negatively affects other people there's an economic term for this negative externalities yes thank yeah. you um and, and and so there are all these these negative externalities of pollution for example sure uh, you, can well, leave, well, you can leave it up it's not a big deal well what's funny is is, yeah. is uh the the one of the, the most common uses of negative externalities actually so so it, it means the unanticipated negative consequences of a decision mm-hmm. um and where we see negative externalities play out the most is with the regulation itself mm-hmm. because hardly anyone 
is uh, malicious enough to introduce regulation for the sake of screwing people over, even sure. though that's what everyone from the opposing political party just assumes from default, right? <laughs> right? Most people mean well. And when they introduce a regulation, they tend to think that this is going to make the situation better. And negative externalities refer to the the unseen consequences. You have the seen versus the unseen. I'm going to do this to help the poor. I'm going to do this to help the sick. And it's like, oh, no, I didn't realize that by putting that policy in place, I de-incentivize these people over here who were doing all of these good things. And now I just made everything worse. Mm -hmm. You have to think according to systems. This is why systems thinking is so important. You can't just look at everything in isolation. So it's funny that we talk about negative externalities because that's how it's often used. But you know, um, I actually agree with Ryan's example. Um, there are cases where someone could someone could legitimately say, you know, Josh and everyone else in this room is so lazy that that coffee would not have gotten cleaned up unless TK has done it. But we should never assume that. It's always up for debate. We shouldn't assume that it couldn't have happened without me, and we shouldn't have assumed that totally. Um, you know, th- that someone would have would have fixed it. But here's my philosophy on this kind of stuff when it comes to regulation or whatever it may be. I quote Milton Friedman here who said um, that, and I paraphrase him, that I'm not looking for a good man to run the system. I'm looking for a system that is so good that it incentivizes even the bad man to do the right thing. Yeah. And I think that option is always superior to the other option, right? So, so should we have regulation? Well, it depends. If, if the alternative is a system that can incentivize even the bad person to do the right thing, I'd rather have that every single time than me depending on something that requires a good man to be in the position of power to tell us what the rules are. But how would we do that? I mean, Ryan's case that he brings up about Los Angeles is with all the smog and everything else that's going on. Well, they did incentivize bad people to do good things. Because they were like, basically, basically like, hey, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, that's not incentivizing. That, well, it's that, punishing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's more. That's more stick than carrot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. But, but so, ha- so to I your point, I don't, how, how would you have incentivized your way out of that if you if you were became Earth Czar? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 first, my first step would be to immediately fire myself or maybe pass a law that I cannot have any successors and there can no longer be any czars. And then I fire myself and I say, we're all in this together. Yeah. Let's figure out how to save our planet. Right. That'd be my first decision as czar. Uh, I, w- I would use my authority to pronounce authority to be meaningless. Mm. Um, <laughs> but but um you know you know I, I mean have a seat over there <laughs> she wanted to hang out so i yeah. told her she could sit right there come on and hang out yeah yeah um, yeah no I, it's i think about the same thing it's like how do you incentivize people to do community service like how do you go sure. out of your way to be and i thought about that i was like how in the world do you uh like if i was earth czar i i've actually had this thought experiment where it's like how do you put something in place how do you put a carrot in place that makes people want to get up off the couch and go help that old lady like I, yeah, I don't know. So, so it's a it's a good question, TK. Do you have any idea how you would incentivize like the the, the smog it, example for yeah. Los Angeles? So, so you know, there, there there are two aspects of this. Like, let me let me deal with the community service thing. There are two aspects of this. One is is let's make sure that we don't accept any unsubstantiated claims about the reality of voluntary community service, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to just kind of grant someone the assumption that if we didn't force people to do community service, human beings are just so greedy that they would never do it. Um, If you're gonna make that claim, that's Mm -hmm. permissible, but you have to defend it, just like any claims I would make. We shouldn't assume it. Okay. Um, and, and, And I think this is very important 
because the statistics on this are very surprising. Like human beings are far more charitable um, th- than we often suppose. But 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 so we, we need to make sure that all claims are defended. Well, let's defend the, that claim for a second. Yeah. Because, I mean, because you bring up a claim that uh, most people are going to be bad and they're not going to do community service. I would argue uh, right uh, now. Yeah, I said we shouldn't. That shouldn't be our default. N- that could be true. No, but but, it shouldn't be our default. Right. But I'm saying yeah. but, but I'm saying that is the default, though, unfortunately. Like if you look at where the world is right now with with all of the pollution the plastic, the, uh, the the damage that is happening to our environment, it is it is very clear that people are not looking out for the good of their community. They're looking out for the good of themselves. I mean, that I feel like that is the default. I'm just kind of pushing back a little bit and saying, yes, I am assuming that is the default, that people are people are inherently good when it's one-on-one, but sure. people are not inherently constantly looking out for their community and, and having that community service attitude to the point where it does need to be, somehow it needs to be incentivized. I want to make sure I understand the claim. Okay. So, so you're saying you think it's the default that human nature is hardwired in such a way that we are more likely to pursue our own individual gain um, at the expense of what's good for the communities around us. Um, and, yeah. and, and unless there's some kind of regulation that forces yes. us to be generous, we won't Aren't do it. Aren't we seeing that right yeah. now with the panic that's going on at the stores? Uh, people are, are, are acting only on... They're actually doing things that are hurting other people because they're hoarding these these toiletries or food or whatever that they're not going to use themselves. They they suspect they're going to, so they are doing something that is negatively affecting the other people in their community as a result. And we still, you're still skirting the question about the LA LA smog. By okay. the way, okay. <laughs> so so I I don't want to put myself in the position of defending the claim that human beings can't do bad things. That that sure. that, that there are not human beings out there who will pursue their own self-interest at the expense of what's good for other people. There are people who will screw you over. What I'm saying is if we're going to make a generalized claim about human beings as a whole, mm-hmm. that we can't allow either one of those positions to be the default. We, we can make particular claims. I can say, yeah, Josh is the kind of dude where all he cares about is money, and if he can step over your back and get it, he'll mm-hmm. do it. Okay, maybe that particular claim is true, but I can't extrapolate from that and say, therefore, my default assumption about human nature itself is that we as a whole are more likely to do that hmm. unless someone is forcing us to do the opposite. Yeah. I, 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 I I think that's that at least has to be defended. Yeah. Even though I'm open open to it. I do. But, I t- no. I totally understand. What but, you're, but, yeah. Here's here's a more specific argument yeah. to, to to get back to this. So what makes charity possible? The only thing that can make charity possible because resources have to come from somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? Charity is driven by prosperity. You can't have charity without prosperity and abundance. In other words, you have to have human beings who have more than enough to survive. Yeah, they have to feel that they have enough. They have to feel like they have enough to survive and they have to be willing to share from their state of excess in order to help people who don't have as much, right? The number one driver of charity is not government. The number one driver of charity is private enterprise. More nonprofits, more charity organizations are financed by wealthy individuals, people that start business, people that accumulate excess uh, wealth through investing and so forth. Mm -hmm. And these people, through no law forcing them to do so, out of their own (gasps) greed, out of their own self-interest, mm. you know, they choose to give money to these philanthropic organizations who then go out to serve the world. We have before us a real argument mm-hmm. of how people, not out of some desire, spiritual desire to make the world a better place, out of their own self-interest, accumulate wealth and then circulate that wealth in a way that helps other people out. I wonder what the numbers are. Cause I think about like Medicare, Medicaid, 
food stamps. Like I, I just don't know the numbers. What what that is? I I would say that uh, again, don't know the numbers, but I would think that the what the government is 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 giving out right now, the social programs the government has is more than what Bill Gates and every other philanthropist is giving out every single year. That's, But I don't know the numbers. I'm, I'm bringing this up because I'm wondering if you do know the numbers yeah, on that. Yeah, I, I have to be honest on that and, and, and say I don't. But but like here's here's kind of like my problem with this. So when I, when I, when I said before that, that freedom is difficult, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah. that freedom is hard. I, I don't think there is a... Freedom does not promise that it gives us solutions to all of our problems, Sure, right? I, I don't think there's any way you can set society up, any kind of government right. that you can have that's gonna liberate us from some kind of situation where you say, man, look at that screwed up thing that happened over there. Mm-hmm. What's the answer to it? Every political philosophy is gonna be forced at some point to bow down to some kind of problem that says, I don't have the answer. Right. Right, like screwed yeah. up things yeah. happen. Regulation right? like, like, isn't going to do it either. I couldn't right. stop that serial killer from right. killing 40 people before we caught him. Governments have failed in that regard and free markets will fail in that regard, right? Yeah. But but kind of the, the challenge is whenever you advocate for the free market position, all we have to do is kind of find one problem that, that we don't know the answer to mm-hmm. and we say, ah, oh, see, we need that regulation for that. Right. But on the regulation side, mm-hmm. the system that we have right now we got millions of people who are being disenfranchised, marginalized, and ignored and not looked out for under these very systems, slipping through the cracks. And that never becomes an argument against regulation. Mm. We just kind of assume, oh, well, the free market isn't helping those people. We need more regulation. We see it in education and healthcare all the time. The push is always for more regulation when people slip through the cracks. So the free market position is hard to hold because every single person that slips through the cracks becomes an argument for regulation, whereas the regulation position, every person who slips yeah. through the cracks becomes an argument for more regulation. Well, I, yeah. I would posit that the article that Josh is, is, that we're bouncing off of here actually does give an example of this is why we need to not have so much regulation. But I don't know if, I don't know if they're arguing that we need to not have regulation. They're, they're just pointing out that this- There are some really bad regulations right. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but, but sure. my default would be whoever wrote this, that if you talk to them about what should happen, they would probably blame it on a particular politician um, and say, we need a new guy in office. Oh, That's yeah, how most yeah. people approach it. That's, most people yeah. approach it from like it's a large an authoritarian perspective. Right. We need a new czar because the current czar right. is not benevolent enough. Yeah, the, the people who hate Trump are mad because it's not their guy. And then when their guy gets in, the people who oppose him are just going to be like, all we debate about is who gets to make the rules for everyone else. Yeah. Like, like, like we don't have a problem with As power. As us making the rules for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a problem with authority. We have yeah. a problem with our particular authority being the one who makes the rules. It's interesting because like, uh, I'm just speaking of like, you know, choosing sides and this is my guy and this is your guy. Um, I try to keep like a very open minded approach and um, I just want to point out, like, because I really f- feel bad that I feel like I've been bashing, like, the Trump administration. Um, yeah, like, I, yeah, that's not the particular choice that I would make, you know, going into the 2016 election. But I can also look at it and say, hey, you know what? Like, we're not at war with Iran. Uh, pr- prescription drug prices are down. There were some really awesome, like, regulations that were lifted yeah. from from prescription drug prices. Like, there are a couple things I could be like, oh, okay, like, there is something good coming out of this. But all that to say is I'm just really trying to help people a like not just plant their flag on one side and stay there but also you know have an open mind to like yeah not just not just 
becoming part of a tribe and bashing the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I did get accused of skirting something and I, oh, I want to yeah. bring attention I was back you, to it. I was going to let you slide on it, man. <laughs> no, no. I, I want to maintain my flawless record across all mediums of never dodging a question. I, I will either be wrong, I will be forced to say I don't know, but I will never ever in the history of my <laughs> life that. ever run from a question. Um, so he, here's what I would do if I were czar and we're having problems with pollution. Rather than just reacting to the symptom, I would do what a good czar would do and I would diagnose the problem, right? I would say, this is an energy source problem, right? Um, we have a whole bunch of bad pollution that's making our environment worse and we all agree with that. And why? Because we're dependent on these particular kinds of energy sources. So as the czar, let me unscrew up society like the previous czar did by removing all of the artificial restrictions on energy source innovation that we have and let's promote developing alternative sources of energy mm. so that we can be able to fuel our technologies and, and sustain our lives without relying on an inferior quality of energy. Because every time we can improve the quality of our energy source, we can also help save our environment. Yeah, no, that's, I, how, I, that's how I would handle it. I love that. Um, I think that uh, if we started doing that in the 50s and 60s, it might be a little bit different today, but I feel like, and maybe it's you know too early to tell, but the last decade, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that, we have been incentivizing other um, sources of energy, although you're still getting fighting from other side. But but yeah, I, I like that yeah. answer, TK, is what yeah. I'm really trying to say. I appreciate that. So, so, <laughs> so I, I just want to highlight one aspect of what I would uniquely do to incentivize it. Um, I wouldn't just be like, yo, tax cuts and financial incentives for people that want to innovate. Mm -hmm. I would also say, hey, all of you big companies, no longer will you destroy the name of capitalism by being in bed with government. Mm. Because so much of what we lay at the feet of capitalism by criticizing big business is not capitalism at all. In fact, there's a, there's a, a pattern of many entrepreneurs using a free market understanding of economics to get rich, and then the moment they get rich, what do they wanna do? They wanna use governments to artificially insulate themselves from competition right. by putting in a bunch of quote unquote consumer advocacy laws that hinder the little guy from being able to grow their business and compete with them because the big companies can afford to pay the mm. fees and the fines, right? I had uh, Melanie Armstrong on my Revolution of One show and um, she was a hair braider. She, she established the first hair braiding salon in Mississippi. And this is a woman who had customers willing to pay her. She had the skill set to braid hair and she had everything right there to sort of create her way into wealth. And guess what? She couldn't do it because there were these consumer advocacy regulations in place that required mm. her to raise a whole bunch of money to be able to get the licenses that she need, to be able to do what she already knew how to do and what wow. people were already willing to pay her for. And so she almost had to go broke just to get out of being broke and be able to create wealth. And this mm. is the norm, like entrepreneurship, creativity and innovation is nature's gift to humanity. Yes. This is how we lift ourselves out of part poverty. Nature is very unfair in that she doesn't equally distribute talent, beauty, wealth and brilliance, but nature always gives us gifts. And as long as we don't have governments artificially restricting our ability to use our imagination, we have proven our capacity over and over again to be badasses. Human beings are badasses. And I, I contend that it is an absolute lie to tell human beings that you can't create your way out of poverty. You can. You absolutely can. That's a message of hope. No, it's not easy. Yes, you need other people. But when we come together and work hard and use our intelligence, we can do amazing, beautiful things. Mm. And, and, and so for me, it's going back to my czar thing. I would say to these other companies, hey, you got here on your own. 
You got to stay here on your own. I'm going to stop protecting you from the little guy. So if you're supplying these, you know, pollution causing fuels, I'm not going to give you incentives that allow you to artificially insulate yourself from these smaller businesses that are innovating to compete. And then we would see more innovation because the main stifle for innovation mm. is governments being involved with making it harder for the little guy to compete with the big guy. And then we blame it on capitalism. It's corporatism. It's, oh, it's private interests and in government being in bed to, with one another. Crony capitalism yeah. is what Crony it is. Crony capitalism, yeah. yeah. All right, before we wrap up. I'm I sorry, want, man. I just, I, I just no, rambled dude. about I do oh, want to no, talk about no, masks and respirators because this is something that's come up. And, and we're, we're hearing conflicting sort of news stories. Um, do you, have, what have you heard about masks and respirators and I've, all these things uh, so I've heard far? that people are hoarding masks and they're trying to sell them at a premium. Are they good, bad, indifferent? Uh, uh, what do you do, mean do good, bad, indifferent? Do they work for... Oh, 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 like what should we do? Uh, I, no, not what should we do. Are, are they good? Are like, they bad? Like they what help? should we do, do as help? far as like using the masks? Uh, I have I saw something the other day. It didn't give any evidence, but it said if you if you are not sick, do not wear a mask. And I don't know if that's because they want you to provide masks for people who really need it, mm -hmm. or if the masks actually somehow uh, make it easier for you to get the coronavirus. I don't know the answer to that, but I have heard that yeah, if you're not sick, don't wear a mask. Same thing with goggles. It's yeah. like. Yeah, you might. This, it's this hard is, for me to. This is bad information you've been given, and that, that's okay. why I bring this up, and that's it's why hard, I wanted to end on this. It's hard, but I saw this on ABC News. Uh -huh. right. so, well, no, yeah. and, and so let me let me just read from yeah, this here. So people are coming down really hard against face masks for coronavirus. Here are three articles. Wirecutter says this is these are just the the titles, and there's links in, in here. We'll put a link to this mm -hmm. whole article in the show notes here. Uh, uh, this is the same blog post I've been reading from the whole episode here. Uh, coming down really hard against face masks for coronavirus. Wirecutter says you don't need a face mask for coronavirus. Market Watch says U.S. health officials say Americans shouldn't wear face masks to prevent coronavirus. Here are three other reasons not to wear one. Fast Company says five reasons not to wear a surgical mask to stop coronavirus. Number five is, quote, just don't. As if that's wow. a good reason. Uh, the CDC and Department of Health and Human Services have both officially recommended against mask wearing. Some of the reasons given are idiotic. The virus is not common in the U.S. yet. That was one of the reasons to not wear a mask. Jesus. Uh, you, so you were not to, so it's not common, so you were wrong to worry. Uh, this reminds me of all the people saying that artificial intelligence are not currently super intelligent, so any discussion that AIs might become super intelligent is just fear-mongering. Who are these people? How are they still alive? How do they, how do they avoid <laughs> driving off cliffs? <laughs> They're heading toward the cliff face, and their passengers scream at them, You're driving toward a cliff! And they calmly respond with, We are not falling off the cliff yet. We're per on perfectly level ground. There's no reason to panic. Mm. Other reasons are superficially better, but collapse under scrutiny. Masks, the articles say, only help people who are sick avoid transmitting the disease. Mm. So healthy people don't need to wear them. But the coronavirus can be asymptomatic for weeks. So if you want contagious people to if you want contagious people to wear them, part of your target demographic will think that they are actually healthy. Mm. So if you become sick, you don't want to have to go out to the store to buy a mask or wait for it to arrive from Amazon. You want to have it immediately. Other reasons make more sense. Standard issue surgical masks, like the one we wore on the plane a few weeks ago to Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. uh, may not help as much, especially if you aren't trained how to use one. Uh, the coronavirus isn't airborne. 
Wearing a mask while walking outside is unnecessary. Wait, the coronavirus is not airborne. That's correct. More bad information. Yeah, so we're, we're getting this information. So you can catch it, meaning if you sneeze on me, sure. you're projectiling the coronavirus. But if you're in this room, you cough, and right. then you leave the room, and then I come in, the coronavirus will be on surfaces. That's correct. But it's not hanging out. That in is the correct. Air. Yes. Okay, good to know. And there are several sources within this article that show yeah. you the science behind that. So, so, so far, I hear the argument for wearing a mask is that you may be asymptomatic and you will not pass it on. Is there any evidence that says if you wear a mask, it'll prevent you from getting the coronavirus yes and that's okay. where we're going with this all right so uh the standard standard issue surgical mask may not help as much because it's not airborne wearing a mask while walking outside is unnecessary however if you're walking and it's like someone coughed in my direction mm. that will projectile towards you so you have to so, so it's not airborne i mean if he coughs in the air and i walk through it uh you know, I, a minute later or something it's already hit the ground or whatever surface it's nearby yep. you definitely want to be dodging if they're coughing in your face for sure or <laughs> or, or a, a mask which we'll talk about here could help um uh, going on going on and other reasons are really truly excellent hmm. if random people buy up all the masks there won't be enough left for healthcare workers or the very sick yes that is the best point. So if you hoard masks, this is terrible for hospitals, healthcare workers, who, by the way, we're hearing horror stories right now of people having to share masks in hospitals. No. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah, so Wouldn't that increase your risk? Uh, if you have two unsick people, but you are afraid of, of getting the coronavirus but from someone no, else, but it to might your point, like your it risk. Could, yeah. it could. It could, yeah. It, yeah. Could, it, it certainly would increase the risk, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but the thing is, uh, this is here's the guy saying the thing is I already own a P100 respirator. I bought it during fire season last year, aka the air is unbreathable season. Living in California, he's up up north. The uh, living in California is full of excitement, and after a couple of years, you end up prepared for lots of stuff. The same thing was true when we lived in in Montana. Yep. And the other day. I wore the P100 respirator on the BART train in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. A densely packed subway full of people who were constantly breathing in your face. And my friends told me, haven't you heard that the government says masks don't work? <laughs> Here's the thing. An N-rated, P-rated, or R-rated respirator. It's like the N95 respirators, mm-hmm. which you've seen. Uh, they have the little respirator on the front. They, they're like a surgical mask, but they have the little respirator on the front. Yes. Those respirator masks, if worn properly in specific high-risk situations, can be an appropriate part of a safety strategy. Mm. I think an accurate treatment of the topic would admit this, while also stressing the reasons most masks might not uh, be appropriate for most people in most situations. The statements and articles I've read don't seem to ha- have this level of subtlety. Instead, they seem focused on getting people to do what they consider is the right thing, not hoard masks and panic, at the cost of oversimplifying the situation, sometimes up to the point of mistruth. And that's the thing that we have here. It goes on to, to talk more about masks. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. But he- here's the, the point to get here is most of these things that we're talking about have a degree of nuance. It's not binary it's not don't wear a mask or yes definitely wear a mask it's that hey maybe the surgical masks don't help as much as we thought Mm -hmm. but they will help you if you are infected they'll help you not spread it potentially but maybe an n95 respirator or a p100 respirator is is a better solution 
if you can get one. The problem is people have been hoarding them, so they're yeah. virtually impossible to get. It's hard for me to believe that a mask is somehow going to help you catch the virus more so if you didn't wear the mask. Like That I also, don't understand. Unless you're sharing mm. them. Right, mm. exactly. Yeah. 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 So next week, we'll be talking about the economy, and we're going to talk about someone who has been hoarding these things. And it's hard to outrage me, but I am, I've been truly outraged by, by this guy and his brother and and we've been saving it up we have been so uh (laughs) that's it for this maximal episode i would encourage you to find tk coleman over at tkcoleman.com you can follow him on twitter anywhere else we should send folks tk just remember dot com not not dot gov (laughs) (laughs) all right we love having you on the show man i i love having these conversations it's it's important i appreciate you guys so much thank you for being here brother appreciate you when I acknowledge what you're doing, I think you're, you're doing something important for the world. I encourage people to follow your work mm-hmm. and what you're doing. Love people, use things. We'll see you next time, y'all. See ya. Be safe out there. Thanks. Peace. The Minimalists. <laughs>